Zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello, I'm Catherine Mather and I've started writing this um, series about, uh, I suppose, women, women in history. I'm calling it History for Her. Because oh. uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a history nerd, uh, but I found that a lot of uh, documentaries that you watch, they're all just about what rich, powerful men were doing. Uh, and it's, it's a bit boring now, really. Uh, so I've started trying to write about what um, about women were doing. In this episode, uh, I've called it Valiant Vermin. Because um, if I've learned anything about it during my time on Earth, uh, I've, I've learned that animals can be women too. Uh, so in this episode I'm going to be talking about the Secret Pigeon Service uh, and all the other animals who served in the Second World War that were awarded the Dickin Medal for bravery. Um, now the Dickin Medal um, is a PDSA award and it's been called the Victoria Cross for Animals, uh, although the people of the Victoria Cross were very quick uh, to disassociate themselves from the Dickin Medal. Um, during the Second World War, the Dickin Medal was awarded to 32 pigeons, 18 dogs, 3 horses and a ship's cat. Uh, so during the First World War, the homing pigeon, or the rock dove to use its fancy name, um, they were used extensively, uh, about 200,000 of them, to send messages back from the front lines and sometimes to take aerial photographs. There's pictures of them online and they're adorable. <laughs> the cameras are so big, they're about the same size as they are. Um, but radios uh, and landlines, they were very primitive at the time and they were quite easily damaged, um, so pigeons really were indispensable. Uh, one pigeon was called Cher Ami, which is a dear friend in French. Uh, she was a British bird, but she was donated to the US Army Signal Corps, uh, and she received the Croix de Guerre, the, the War Cross, uh, for her services during the First World War. She delivered 12 important messages in Verdun. Uh, her most heroic feat was on the 3rd of October 1918, during the, and I'm going to butcher this, pronunciation of this, uh, Moose Argonne Offensive. Uh, Major Charles White Whittlesley and more than 550 men were trapped in a small depression on the hillside uh, behind enemy lines without food or ammunition. As well as being surrounded by the Germans, they were also beginning to receive friendly fire because no one knew their location um, and there were very quickly only 194 men left. Major Whittles, they sent a pigeon with the message, many wounded, we cannot evacuate. Uh, it was immediately shot down. So he sent a second bird carrying the message, men are suffering, can support be sent. But that again was immediately shot down. Uh, pigeons were on their only hope. Uh, so they sent a third pigeon, Cherami, me, uh, with the message, we are along the road parallel to 276.4, our own artillery dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it! Uh, she was also shot down, but she managed to take flight again, flying 25 miles in just 25 minutes to deliver a message, despite having been blinded in one eye, shot through her breast, and having a leg hang hanging on by a tendon, the poor thing. Army medics worked to save her life, as she had done for the 194 trap soldiers. They fashioned her a little wooden leg to replace the one she lost, uh, but she died eight months later from her wounds in New Jersey, uh, and she was taxidermied to be put on place at the Smithsonian Institute. It was only as she was being taxidermied that she realised that she wasn't a male, but she was in fact female. Um, 
After the First World War, the British and the Americans they closed down the military home in Pigeon the sections because, you know, after all, it was the war to end all wars, wasn't it? Uh, the Germans, however, they didn't. Uh, and 21 years later, after the outbreak of the Second World War, they were much more prepared. When Hitler came to power in 1933, pigeon fanciers had to register all of their pigeons. And, of course, Jews weren't allowed to keep pigeons, um, which just shows how... Uh, you know, uh, how much was placed on owning a pigeon. Um, a group of German pigeon fanciers uh, even came to Britain in the early 1930s just for an innocent pigeon race, you know. Uh, but really they were training the birds to make flights over the channel uh, and to time how long it would take for the messages to get across. Um, now, at the outbreak of war, Major Osmond began asking to reinstate the National Pigeon Service, uh, and it took him two years, but he did succeed. People they just didn't think that they were necessary in, anymore. They wanted to invest money in wireless technology rather than birds, uh, but radios could break in a way that birds couldn't. Uh, so the RAF made it a rule that two pigeons would accompany every bomber mission, so should the bomber go down or radio stop working, they could use the pigeons. But by May 1941 there were complaints that none of these birds had actually been used to rescue a stranded crew and they wanted to scrap the idea to save money. However, Bomber Command came out in support of the pigeons, because maybe they hadn't saved anyone, but they were fantastic for morale. Uh, pirate, pi pirates. Pilots found them to be a genuine comfort. Um, they were company on the flights and they were assuring backup if the radios should fail and they found themselves in trouble. And some of the pigeons even became mascots, so they ended up staying. Uh, so while in the First World War, pigeons were expected to fly relatively small distances because we were on the continent, in the Second World War, the distances and the conditions that the pigeons had to endure, they were much harsher because pigeons don't really like flying over water, which of course they're expected to do pretty much every flight that they made. Uh, they don't like to fly at night, they don't like to fly in fog or high winds, and uh, pigeons, they use their sight to locate landmarks, which helps with the, their navigation. And of course, fog and uh, nighttime conditions that would hinder them. So, aside from the usual trappings of war that threatened the lives of, the, of humans, so bullets and bombs, pigeons also had to avoid, uh, avoid their natural predators, the peregrine falcon, which patrolled the coastline. Uh, pigeons are a third the size of the peregrine falcon, and they can fly at about 60 miles an hour, which is equal to that of the falcon on the strait. However, the peregrine falcon, its hunting technique is to fly above the pigeon silently, unnoticed, and then swoop at a speed of 200 miles an hour onto the unsuspecting pigeon and tear it apart with its talons. So the only way that a pigeon could escape from that would be to drop in the last few seconds that the, that the falcon had the pigeon in its claws and hopefully just sl slip free of its talons. Now, the fal in response to this, the Falcon Destruction Unit was established to try and help the pigeons out. It was a team of five men whose job it was to drive along the south coast of England, shooting falcons so that the pigeons could get through the messages, which was a wonderful idea. However, there were German agents operating in Britain by this time, so it just cleared the way for them to get the messages back to Germany. Uh, so the, Brit the British began breeding falcons again. Uh, this time the idea was that they would train the falcons to catch enemy birds. Uh, alas, though, falcons were unable to tell the difference between friend and foe, uh, and as such, they just kept killing British birds. 
Um, so very early on in the war, when the Nazis were steamrolling through the continent, the British realised that they actually didn't know much about what was going on on the continent. Uh, so they decided to parachute in pigeons behind enemy lines as questionnaires uh, in the top secret Operation Columba, because uh, the Latin name for pigeons is Columba Libya. The pigeons, they were dropped uh, in big cases with sheets of very thin paper, a special pencil and a tube for storing the message, as well as French and Dutch instructions on how to fill in the report and a recent copy of a London newspaper and a little bit of food for the bird. Um, often these birds, though, would have been just immediately handed in by villagers to the Nazis because the penalty for being found with one of these birds was death. Um, or they'd eat the pigeon because war had left France, Belgium and the Netherlands very hungry. Um, but very occasionally people would send pigeons back with military intelligence, information on locations of interest, the morale of civilians and soldiers and the effects of recent bombing raids and personal messages uh, to family in the UK. The most famous response uh, came from a Belgian priest called Joseph Raskin and his friends, uh, a group that called themselves Leopold Vindictive. Uh, it didn't end too well for them, uh, but since this episode is about animals and not people, uh, I'll leave you to look into them yourselves. Um, so, here are some of the lady pigeons who won the Dickin Medal. Uh, there was Mary of Exeter, who was, frankly, a complete badass. Uh, she served with the, the National Pigeon Service from 1940 to 1945, and she was owned by a cobbler called Charlie Brewer. She made four flights between France and England, having survived a Luftwaffe attack on her loft in 1942. She was badly injured on three of her four flights, needing 22 stitches. Uh, she was attacked by German-kept hawks, returning home with wounds to her neck and her right breast, but recovered and was put back into service two months later, when she was shot. The tip of one of her wings was shot off, and she had three pellets removed from her body. Her final flight left her with shrapnel damage to her neck muscles, so her owner, bless him, um, made her a neck brace to hold her head up and she was taken out of action. She died uh, of old age, I think, in 1950 and was buried in the Ilford Animal Center, uh, Cemetery sorry. Uh, and in January 19... January... 2018, sorry, uh, a blue plaque was unveiled at 6 West Street in Exeter where she lived in her honour. Kenley Lass, she was the first pigeon to return with intelligence from an agent in enemy-occupied France in October 1940. She was parachuted in with the agent and 12 days later she flew 300 miles home in just seven hours. Uh, on the 23rd of February 1942, the pigeons really earned the keep. Uh, a British Bristol Beaufort crashed in the North Sea and after being shot down, uh, on the way to Norway. They'd managed to send an SOS, but the signal was weak and the plane broke up on impact, meaning that the search party had a 70 square mile uh, area to search. In a dinghy, the crew's only hope was to send a pigeon. She was called Winky. She arrived home early the following morning, narrowing down the search area, and the crew were found 15 minutes later. She was the first animal to be awarded the Dickin Medal, and a celebratory dinner was held in her honour. Uh, I hope she wore her best dress. On the uh, 11th of October 1943, White Vision was aboard the consolidated PBY Catalina flying boat 
when it was forced to ditch in the North Sea near the Hebrides off the coast of Scotland, she flew 60 miles to her loft on the Shetland Islands in a strong headwind to deliver a message as bad weather made it impossible for other planes to locate the, their plane. Uh, all 11 of the crew were found alive and spent 18 hours at sea. Um, in uh, September 1944, a British agent in the ne Netherlands sent the Scotch lass home uh, with 38 microphotographs and intelligence. While in sight of the agent, she hit telegraph wires, but she continued anywhere with the flight and she got the message home. Um, now, I'd like to talk about the horses that won the Dickin Medal, but their achievement was literally just not to run away in the Blitz, um, which, I mean, to be fair, is very brave, uh, but also not as interesting as my favourite Dickin Medal winner. Uh, and my God, she will be your favourite as well very soon. Uh, she's called Judy. She was a pedigree pointer and she's frankly had a more interesting life than any of us ever will. Um, Judy was a ship's dog above the HMS Nat and then she was transferred to the HMS Grasshopper, um, which was stationed initially on the Yangtze River but she was transferred to Singapore in December 1941 after the Japanese uh, declared war. Uh, she was initially purchased for the ship to be used as a gun dog, but after several days of her arrival, Chief Petty Officer Charles Jeffrey noted in his log, our chances of making her a trained gun dog are very small. Um, however, she did manage to make herself useful as she was able to hear approaching aircraft. She was used as an early warning system for the crew. In November 1936, whilst on board the HMS Nat, she fell up, uh, overboard on the Yangtze River and the boat stopped to rescue her. Uh, the incident was logged as a man overboard exercise. Uh, during her time on the HMS Nat, she alerted crews for river pirates who were boarding the ship, uh, but they were easily gotten rid of because they'd lost her element of surprise. Uh, when on a walk with her... Um, Chief Petty Officer Charles Jeffrey, she began to run and dragged him with her. He later realised she was pulling him away from a leopard. Then, in early 1938, whilst well, docked in Hankow, Judy took a liking to a French pointer called Paul. Uh, he was aboard the French gunship the Francis Garnier. Uh, the two crews held a little wedding for the two dogs, which was lucky because Judy had fallen pregnant. She gave birth to 13 puppies, 10 of which survived. And those puppies were very grateful to have not been born out, born out of sight of wedlock. Um, in June 1936, she was transferred with the rest of her crew onto the HMS Grasshopper. They were deployed to Singapore and Judy was present at the Battle of Singapore, which uh, took place on the 8th to the 15th of February and was just an absolute mess by all accounts. Uh, the HMS Grasshopper was ordered to evacuate personnel by the 13th of February, uh, which it did at 9pm along with its sister ship, the Dragonfly. On the 14th of February, Judy indicated incoming Japanese aircraft. Dragonfly was hit three times and very quickly sunk, uh, but the Grasshopper which was also hit three times, um, did give the crew time to evacuate after a fire started in the ammunition compartment. Uh, it was only once the crew were ashore that they realised that Judy wasn't with them. Um, Petty Officer George White returned to the ship to look for supplies and he found Judy. She was pinned in her bed under a row of lockers. Uh, he returned to the island that they'd made camp on with supplies and with Judy. But it quickly became apparent that the island had no food or water. Enter Judy. Uh, she began digging, 
and after a few minutes she had unearthed a freshwater spring that saved everyone's lives. Uh, they stayed there for the next five days and Judy protected them all from snakes. Um, they were rescued and they began to make a journey to Sri Lanka via Sumatra in the hope that they could escape the Japanese. They had to trek for 200 miles across country to get to Padang in Sumatra, uh, where Judy managed to survive a crocodile attack. She warned the crew of approaching predators and she even saved one of them from a tiger attack. Um, they arrived at Padang to find that they'd missed the last evacuation to Sri Lanka by nine days, which must have been awful. Um, and on the 18th of March, they were all taken as prisoners of war. Uh, Judy was smuggled onto the transport from Padang to the, again, going to butcher the pronunciation of this, Glurga, uh, prison of, prisoner of war camp in Medan. Uh, Chief Petty Officer uh, Leonard Williams recorded, thus began three to four years of the most horrific labour, torture, starvation and every de degradation the Japanese could inflict upon us. In August, Judy was adopted by leading aircraftman um, Frank Williams. She was the only animal to have been registered as a prisoner of war during the Second World War. Her official prisoner camp name was uh, 81A Gloga Madan. Williams had managed to convince the camp's drunken commandant to uh, sign the papers and register as a pal uh, upon the promise of one of her puppies. Um, she would distract guards who were administering punishments. She would go out and find food and bring it back for people and she'd all alert prisoners to the presence of snakes and scorpions. Uh, while in the camp she had another litter of puppies, one of which was given to the camp commandant as promised, one was smuggled into the women's camp with food and supplies, one was given to the Red Cross, one was beaten to death by a camp guard uh, and one remained in the camp after Williams and Judy left for Singapore in July, uh, uh, June sorry, 1944. 700 prisoners were forced to stand in the searing heat on board the SS Van Warwick, uh, Williams had taught Judy to lie still in a rice sack, which he'd slung over his shoulder to smuggle her on board. On the 26th of June 1944, they were torpedoed, and Williams threw Judy out of portholes to try and save her. She fell 15 feet into the sea, and he made his own escape, not knowing if she'd survive. 500 people died in that attack. Williams was recaptured and he was sent to a new camp where he heard stories of a dog helping drowned men reach pieces of flotsam and letting them hold on to her back and help them swim. She hid from the Japanese but she was found by a captain who threatened to kill her but his order was countermanded by the former commander of the Medan camp who happened to be there and she was sent on to a new camp. Williams said, I couldn't believe my eyes. As I entered the camp, a scraggy dog hit me square between the shoulders and knocked me over. I'd never been so glad to see the old girl and I think she felt the same. After a month in that camp, they were sent to Sumatra to spend the next year clearing jungle for the building of railroads. Judy would bark to alert guards when large threats uh, were approaching, like tigers or elephants. But the experience of working in the jungle, it changed Judy. Williams said that she wasn't the tame, obedient dog anymore. She was a skinny animal that kept herself alive through cunning and instinct. He said she saved my life in so many ways. The greatest way of all was giving me a reason to live. All they had to do was look at her in those weary, bloodshot eyes, and I would ask myself, what would happen to her if I died? I had to keep going, even if it meant waiting for a miracle.
In early 1945, Williams found that she would become more aggressive towards the Japanese and Korean guards, uh, and while he'd usually send her off into the jungle to avoid them, one day the guards gave chase and they shot her. The bullet had grazed her shoulder, and Williams was only able to treat it by covering it with palm fronds. They moved camps again, where Judy was sentenced to death because there was a lice outbreak. Uh, she disappeared for three days, and she only returned when the Japanese forces had abandoned the camp. She was smuggled aboard the ship Antonor, which was headed for Liverpool, and she was placed in quarantine in Hackbridge, Surrey, for six months upon her arrival in the UK. Williams was charged £12 to cover her quarantine, and since he didn't have that kind of money, he had to place an advert in the December 1945 edition of the Tailwaggers Club magazine, asking for donations, which raised a total of £18, 18 shillings and 8 pence from, 20, uh, from 61 donations. She was awarded a medal for valour by the Kennel Club, and in May 1946, Judy was awarded the Dickin Medal. She was registered as the only canine member of the returned British Prisoner of War Association. She was interviewed by the BBC on the 8th of June for their radio coverage of the London Victory celebrations of 1946. Williams and Judy appeared at the Stars of Blitz and Battlefront event, which was held at Wembley Stadium in front of over 82,000 spectators. And she spent the next year raising money for charity and visiting the relatives of family and prisoners of war that had never come back. On the 10th of May 1948, Williams and Judy went to East Africa, where Judy had a third and final litter of puppies. In Africa, it was found that she had a mammary tumour. She had an operation to remove the growth, but a tetanus infection soon set in and she was euthanised on the 17th of February 1950 at the age of almost 14. She was buried in Tanzania in her RAF jacket with her campaign medals. She had the Pacific Star, the 1939 to 1945 Star and the Defence Medal. Williams spent two months building her granite and marble gravestone, which has a plaque telling a story. So there we have it. If you want to know any more about what I've spoken about in this episode, uh, there are an awful lot of books about Judy. Uh, there's one called Judy, A Dog in a Million by Damien Lewis. Uh, there's one called No Better Friend by Robert Weintraub. Uh, and The Judy Story by Edwin Farley. Uh, if you want to hear about pigeons, there's a book called The Secret Pigeon Service by dog, uh, Gordon Carrera. Um, a really good documentary uh, called War of the Birds, which was written and directed by Richard Kane. Uh, and also there's a film, uh, the 2005 Disney film uh, called Valiant, uh, which has scored terribly on Rotten Tomatoes and everything. But I thought it was fantastic. Um, and honestly, if you know some of the background to it, you're like, oh, my God, this is so accurate as well for a Disney film. Uh, but thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.